O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Saturday, June 12th. Shabbat Shalom. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east, They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we finish up the Torah portion, Korah. Numbers 18, 16-32 Redeem them when they are one month old. The redemption price is five pieces of silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel, which equals twenty geras. However, you may not redeem the firstborn of cattle, sheep, or goats. They are holy and have been set apart for the Lord. Sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as a special gift, a pleasing aroma unto Yahweh. The meat of these animals will be yours, just like the breast and the right thigh that are presently presented by lifting them up as a special offering before the altar. Yes, I am giving you all these holy offerings that the people of Israel bring to the Lord. They are for you and your sons and daughters to be eaten as your permanent share. This is an eternal and unbreakable covenant between the Lord and you, and it also applies to your descendants. And the Lord said to Aaron, Your priests will receive no allotment of land or share of property among the people of Israel. I am your share and your allotment. As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. 
From now on, no Israelites except priests or Levites may approach the tabernacle. If they come too near, they will be judged guilty and will die. Only the Levites may serve at the tabernacle, and they will be held responsible for any offenses against it. This is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. The Levites will receive no allotment of land among the Israelites, because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been presented as sacred offerings to the Lord. This will be the Levites' share. That is why I said they will receive no allotment of land among the Israelites. The Lord also told Moses, Give these instructions to the Levites. When you receive from the people of Israel the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes you receive, a tithe of the tithe to the Lord as a sacred offering. The Lord will consider this offering to be your harvest offering, as though it were the first grain from your own threshing floor or wine from your own winepress. You must present one-tenth of the tithe received from the Israelites as a sacred offering to the Lord. This is the Lord's sacred portion, and you must present it to Aaron the priest. Be sure to give the Lord the best portions of the gifts given to you. Also, give these instructions to the Levites. When you present the best part as your offering, it will be considered as though it came from your own threshing floor or winepress. You Levites and your families may eat this food anywhere you wish, for it is your compensation for serving in the temple. You will not be considered guilty for accepting the Lord's tithes if you give the best portion to the priests. But be careful not to treat the holy gifts of the people of Israel as though they were common. If you do, you will die. First Kings 9, 1-10-29 So Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had done before at Gibeon. Yahweh said to him, I have heard your prayer and your petition. I have set this temple apart to be holy, this place you have built where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations. Then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father David. One of your descendants will always sit on the throne of David. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I have given you, And if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule 
among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads in amazement. They will ask, Why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, Because his people abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why the Lord has brought all these disasters on them. It took Solomon twenty years to build the Lord's temple and his own royal palace. At the end of that time he gave twenty towns in the land of Galilee to King Hiram of Tyre. Hiram had previously provided all the cedar and cypress timber and gold that Solomon had requested. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the towns Solomon had given him, he was not at all pleased with them. What kind of towns are these, my brother? he asked. So Hiram called that area Kabul, which means worthless, as it is still known today. Nevertheless, Hiram paid Solomon 9,000 pounds of gold. This is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, the royal palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and the cities of Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer, killing the Canaanite population and burning it down. He gave the city to his daughter as a wedding gift when she married Solomon. So Solomon rebuilt the city of Gezer. He also built up the towns of Lower Beth Horon, Baalath, and Tamar in the wilderness within his land. He built towns as supply centers and constructed towns where his chariots and horses could be stationed. He built everything he desired in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout his entire realm. There were still some people living in the land who were not Israelites, including Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were descendants of the nations whom the people of Israel had not completely destroyed. So Solomon conscripted them for his labor force, and they serve in the labor force to this day. But Solomon did not conscript any of the Israelites for forced labor. Instead, he assigned them to serve as fighting men, government officials, officers and captains in his army, commanders of his chariots and charioteers. Solomon appointed 550 of them to supervise the people working on his various projects. Solomon moved his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, from the city of David to the new palace he had built for her. Then he constructed the supporting terraces. Three times each year Solomon presented burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord. He also burned incense to the Lord, and so he finished the work of building the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, a port near Eloth in the land of Edom, along the shore of the Red Sea. Hiram sent experienced crews of sailors to sail the ships with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back to Solomon some 16 tons of gold.
When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of Yahweh, she came to test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold, and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, and their splendid clothing, the cup-bearers, and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of Yahweh. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be! What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, He has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantities of spices, and precious jewels. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In addition, Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, and they also brought rich cargoes of red sandalwood and precious jewels. The king used the sandalwood to make railings for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and to construct lyres and harps for the musicians. Never before or since has there been such a supply of sandalwood. King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, besides all the customary gifts he had so generously given. Then she and all her attendants returned to their own land. Each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, each weighing more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each weighing nearly 4 pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a huge throne, decorated with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and a rounded back. There were armrests on both sides of the seat, and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. There were also twelve other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could be compared with it. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. 
They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships that sailed with Hiram's fleet. Once every three years the ships returned, loaded with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult with him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig trees that grow in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia. The king's traders acquired them from Cilicia at the standard price. At that time, chariots from Egypt could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver and horses for 150 pieces of silver. They were then exported to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Acts 8, 14-40 When the apostles back in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads, he offered money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money perish with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right before God. Turn from your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitterness and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news to them too. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he did and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. 
The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I, when there is no one to instruct me? And he begged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Was Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? So Philip began with this same scripture and then used many others to tell him the good news about Yeshua. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there is some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the city of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every city along the way until he came to Caesarea. Psalm 130, 1-8 From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness, that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love and an overflowing supply of salvation. He himself will free Israel from every kind of sin. Proverbs 17, 2 and 3 A wise slave will rule over the master's shameful sons and will share their inheritance. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold. But the Lord tests the heart. I'd like to speak to you today from 1 Kings chapter 9, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 130. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, we see that Solomon is finishing up the construction of the first temple. And he has great wisdom, and he has great wealth. So then the Lord speaks to him when he completes the task. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, it is written, well, let me start with verse 6. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple 
that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads in amazement. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? Well, history tells the story of what happened. And when he's speaking to Solomon to give this warning to the nation of Israel, which includes all twelve tribes, later on there is a kingdom split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, Judah, in the south, is primarily composed of Jews of the tribe of Judah. And the northern kingdom is the ten tribes of the north. So that happens later. And then both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom end up going into exile. The northern kingdom is taken by Assyria, and they go off into captivity to Assyria. And there they forget who they are. They forget God. They forget his book. And they get assimilated. And they've never, ever returned. The southern kingdom, later on, gets uh, put into exile, goes into captivity by Babylon. In 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar breaks through the walls of Jerusalem and takes the city and takes the nation. And they went into captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And then later on in 70 AD, again, the Jews are evicted out of their land and Then they go into exile for many, many centuries. And then only in 1948 is the nation once again reestablished. So this prophecy in verse 7, I will uproot Israel from this land, that includes both northern and southern kingdom, that I have given to them, and I will reject this temple. This all does come to pass. And this beautiful, glorious, amazing temple gets destroyed twice. It gets destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed once again. And all that really remains of that temple is the Western Wall. So this warning does come to pass. The Southern Kingdom, the Jewish people, many, many people have returned and made Aliyah to the land. The Northern Kingdom, The ten tribes of the north are still scattered to all the nations and are only now beginning to wake up, remember who they are, awaken from their spiritual amnesia, and return to the Torah, return to the God of Israel, and waiting eagerly for God to fulfill his promise and his covenant that one day we, the northern kingdom, can also return to the land. And now I want to jump into Psalm 130, verse 3, 4, and 5. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word.
I'm going to just share my heart with you. I have been greatly humbled these last couple of weeks. Um, I've been in the midst of a situation of helping a family member resolve a crisis. And this family member, due to domestic violence, became homeless with three small children and a broken finger. And so this family member stayed with me for three weeks. And then this past weekend, we moved her and her children in to her own apartment up on the third floor of a very tall building. And so it's been a lot of work and a lot of grace needed because while she was living with me, it was five people in one small one bedroom apartment, a 13 year old an 11 year old and a toddler, one and a half. And, you know, it's really easy to walk in the fullness of the Spirit with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you live largely by yourself alone and you aren't in in a lot of close contact relationships, it's like living on a deserted island. You don't sin. Where we sin the most is with our mouth and with our words. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of the mouth is an overflow of the heart. And by golly, I thought that I had really repented of and gotten the victory over a short temper, anger. But boy, put me in the right circumstances, in the right situation, and boy, that temper that I have flares right up. And, you know, the word says, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, wounded, damaged people hurt each other. And unclean words come out of their mouth. And they say things that needle you and that hurt you. And if we don't respond in the spirit, if we're in the flesh, we needle and we hurt right back. We hurl with hurtful words right back. I can't tell you how many times I had to put myself in time out and step away because my anger rose up and I could feel the temperature gauge going up inside of me and I had to just step away and just take a time out. I'm still struggling and I'm still asking the Lord for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness because there were times when I said things I should not have said that I know were hurtful. It's only the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God that we can continue to walk this walk. That's why these verses particularly resonate with me today. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive but to offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. So, it's a real learning curve for me, a cutting edge, a growth point of how to walk with self-control and gentleness and unconditional love 
around a wounded person who tends to say things that are very hurtful. How to walk that out. How to really be Yeshua with skin on. How to show the unconditional love of God. And beloved, I'm not perfect. I've messed up. But overall, the actions do speak in addition to the words. And the actions have been, let's get you safe, let's get you protected, let's get you organized, let's rebuild your life, let's get you in a new living situation, and begin anew, and build fresh. So I pray for God's grace, and His mercy, and His loving kindness to cover this relationship. And may He do the same for you. If you are in any kind of a relationship with a family member, a spouse, whether it's a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, whoever it might be, may we show Yeshua's grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, his gentleness. And may we be quick to repent when we fall short of that. Have a blessed day. Yevrekha Adonai Vish Merekha Yaya Adonai Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayaseleka Leka Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>